Hello, everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Today, we are speaking with Ilan Dehaz, the Chief Executive Officer of the ADECO Group. Ilan is responsible for leading ADECO Group's 20 billion euro global business across 60 countries. Since 2017, Ilan has been a member of the Global Commission on the Future of Work at the ILO, the International Labor Organization. Ilan, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for inviting me, uh, Arpit. So uh, before we get started, uh, tell us about the ADECO group and also help us understand the scale of the organization that you've been leading. Yeah, we are uh, a 50 years plus uh, company. We have been created uh, at the end of the year's 50s. And the origin of the group is the temporary staffing. And by that time, companies were looking for solutions regarding peak activities or illness of replacement of people. And, and that's how we have been created, both in, in, um, in Switzerland and, and then in, in France. And then the company grew ra quite rapidly. And in 96, the two companies, Adia and, and Eco, merged into a, a company now called Adeco. And uh, with the aim to become the, the global leader in temporary staffing. And um, from there, from 96 on, we also diversified uh, our service offering. Not only offering uh, temporary staffing, but in the meantime, we are the global leader in outplacement and career transition. Uh, we are one of the global leader also in what we call uh, IT and engineering uh, tech solutions with a brand called Modis. We are the global leader in digital capabilities up and reskilling with General Assembly. So today we are we have the largest scope of human resources service offering uh, for or 100,000 customers that uh, we have in these 60 countries, and uh, we are in all the continents. I would say all the continents uh, except uh, Africa. We are we have a very limited uh, presence in Africa, but otherwise we are uh, everywhere uh, active in the world, uh, following our, our, our customers and putting at work every day two million candidates uh, and associates uh, in these one hundred thousand uh, companies. How did you uh, get started and uh, get attracted to? Uh, the area of human resources, uh, uh, what, what has been your journey like? Well, I have a, a different journey. And uh, I started in, in a big uh, corporation called Henkel, you know, this uh, applied uh, chemistry. And uh, I spent there my, my first 10 years. And one of my last job was to take care of uh, big facility management companies because they are using a lot of detergents, machineries, and so on. And then after 10 years at Henkel, I joined uh, the largest company in the world called ISS. And, and that's where I discovered the service industry. That's where I discovered uh, people, the people-related industry, uh, for which I have really in love. And from there, I moved to another type of, of uh, very people-centric uh, industry, which is the HR workforce solutions. And now, since more than uh, 20 years, I am in this industry. 
And I had a, a kind of double career because I've been already a, a CEO of a listed company already in 2002, between 2002 and 2006. And then I moved away. We sold the company. And it was a listed company, but uh, we, we sold the company and I become an entrepreneur. I invested in the company. But uh, three years later, I would say destiny, uh, the Adeco Group bought the company I was leading and I was an investor. And so I, I came back in the corporation, uh, the global leader in this industry. And then uh, I took care two years about Northern European countries, then four years France. And since 2015, I'm again CEO of, uh, of, uh, of this great company, but for sure one of the global leader in, in this industry. So very, very proud, very excited to have such an impact uh, on the world because we are a very purpose-driven company and our purpose is to make the future work for everyone. And when I speak about these 2 million people we are putting at work and the 30,000 engineers we have at LHH and at Modis and the 400,000 people who are helping to rebound every year thanks to LHH, we have a huge societal impact on the world, which is really great. Given, given everything you've described, uh, you, you, you have uh, to have the pulse of your customers. You, you have to have understanding of uh, the challenges they are facing in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, so what, what, what are you seeing? What are they grappling with uh, when you talk to them? I would say there are two key, two key challenges. Uh, the first one is that more and more, whatever the size of the company, whatever the industry, whatever the location, we are all living in a so-called VUCA world. So it's more and more volatile. It's more and more unpredictable. It's more and more complex, ambiguous. And so for, for companies to cope with this, this environment is not easy. And one way to cope with this environment is to put more flexibility at work. And so that's why uh, they are coming to us to discuss how they can flexibilize their work organization. How can we partner? How can they leverage uh, our capabilities yeah, to, to provide that kind of workforce solutions. This is one, one topic, one discussion we have. And the other, the other part is all about the transformation. Uh, transformation in all the industries with the, the, the accelerated technology deployment. And again, I think there is no change before COVID. And after COVID, I think this mega trends of, of technology acceleration is there, was there, but the speed with which the deployment is taking place is absolutely accelerating. And, and with this technology deployment, there are many challenges. Uh, so some companies have to, to look at new type of skills and competences. Sometimes some companies or some sectors are, are, are being completely disrupted. And, and so we are helping them in all the cases, in case they are disrupted, in case they are looking for, for new talents, in case they are trying to reskill and upskill the talents they have in place, uh, I would say we are really uh, on the agenda of the companies. We are on the agenda of the, the countries. I will come that on the governments. And we are on the agenda of the people because these three stakeholders are, are facing this transformation. As an individual, you, you need to, to stay competitive, to stay employable in the labor market. So big topic. As a company, you need to stay 
attractive, you need to stay competitive. And, and again, to do this, you, you need the right skills and take the, the right actions. And also as a country, you need to stay competitive and attractive. And it means for, for many countries to have the right to, to have the, the right capabilities and skills you can offer to the companies which are created on, uh, in your geography or international companies looking for place to develop, to manufacture, to sell. You need the proper environment, uh, especially on the, on the skill side. What other trends uh, are you seeing uh, as a result of the pandemic? Obviously, digital transformation is one. Uh, and how do you see this crisis different than, say, the financial crisis of 2008? Uh, what, what, what's changed? Well, first of all, is the, the profile of the crisis. And it's a little bit early, but probably also the profile of the recovery. If you look at 2008, 2009, we lost uh, 35, 30, no, 38% of our revenues in seven months, seven months, 38%. This time, 10 years later in this crisis of 2020, the COVID, we lost about 35, 36% of our revenues in six weeks, seven months, six weeks. So you see the, 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 the speed, the, 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 the brutality of, uh, of this. Now, what, has, what is different is the way we are recovering. And, and you remember one year ago, there was a lot of discussion. Will we have a, a V-shaped rec recovery or a W? Or... What we see for, uh, till now is a, a so-called V-logarithmic uh, recovery. So I can give you uh, four figures to, to illustrate this. So in the second quarter of last year, so really during the peak of the, the pandemic, we lost 28% of the global revenues, 28%. In the third quarter, so three months later, we were already at minus 15%. And then in the fourth quarter, we were at minus 5%. And in fact, in December, we were at min minus 2%, so almost at the level uh, pre-COVID. Uh, pre and. The big, how you, do we explain these figures? Uh, we explain them because all the governments in the majority of the, the, the countries, they have applied what I would call the German and Swiss recipe of 2008-2009. Uh, they have put in place a, a temporary unemployment scheme, allowing companies, on one hand, to retain the, the, um, the, their employees, but on one hand, and on the other hand, to, let's say, give the burden uh, of this pandemic uh, to the governments. And so uh, in some countries, you call that furlough, in some others, you can, you, the Germans say Kurzarbeit and so on. But whatever the countries, all the countries have really uh, put money at work to keep the people in the employment so that when the recovery is coming, the the, the the work is, is restarting immediately. And for the moment, uh, you see that it is quite successful in, in many countries. Now, the, the, the challenge today, and you see many countries working on this, is to synchronize the recovery of the, the economy with the, 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 the reduction uh, of the governmental support scheme. Uh, and it is a delicate act uh, many countries are, are doing. Your work with the ILO, the International Labour Organization, uh, 
what are some of the concerns being brought to the fore there and how is the ILO thinking about the future work? Uh, I invite uh, the listeners to to look at the report that we have uh, we have produced after more than one and a half year work on this. But the work we have done was to um, to provide a, a view of the future of work, but also some key recommendations for the governments. Uh, there are more than almost two hundred governments being part of the International Labour Organization. And it was this, uh, the centenary of the organization last year in June. And so the objective would have been to give them some kind of guidance on how to cope with this change. Uh, for sure, uh, with the COVID, everything has been accelerated, but that has been the, the work we have done. And um, I think reskilling, upskilling was really one of the key recommendations to put in place a framework uh, to make sure that. Uh, you reskill uh, uh, companies and individuals are, are upskilling and reskilling themselves. There were also uh, some recommendations uh, about the gig economy, and, um, and because we see that this platform uh, business and the platform employers is just increasing, and, and that in the vast majority uh, of the countries, the the social protection framework is not adapted to this new reality. The social uh, protection framework is based on uh, 40, 50 years uh, ago, uh, where people were used to stay for 30 years, 40 years in the same companies, in the same industries, and it was easy. But we see now that a youngster in the US between the age of 18 and, and uh, 25 will change 11 times of jobs uh, in these seven years. We see that 47% of uh, the fresh graduates in the US are entering the labor force as freelancers. And, and, and it's not on, only in the US, but you have also millions of people now uh, in, in Europe, even in, in, in Asia, even in China. And governments have to adapt this uh, this social protection system. Otherwise, you, they, take, they take a big risk to create what I call a social time bomb, because these people are not contributing uh, and anticipating potential illness. Uh, they are not anticipating uh, retirement, uh, eventually reskilling, upskilling needs. And, and so government have to, uh, to, to organize this, to, to put the right framework in place, because that type of economy is answering the needs of both companies uh, and also uh, the younger generation of workers. The younger generation of workers, they want to have this, this kind of flexibility and, and autonomy. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we need to also organize security in case of illness and so on. And so that's why there is a big call to, to government uh, to work on this, to make sure that uh, yeah, a, a welfare model going forward will be secured, even in, in that in this new type of uh, environment. This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. 
Expertify differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Expertify Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Expertify platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.expertify.com for more information. So the, the 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 welfare model would certainly um, make sense in the European context because you have the frameworks and the policies in place. How do you see that kind of a model? Um, you know, it's it's very challenging to do something like that in the U.S., right? So so what what is your perspective? How does the U.S. Uh, provide that safeguards and security to the gig workers? Uh, it is clear that according to the let's say the the country and and let's say the the type of economy you have is it more liberal or is it more more, more structured you will have a different attitude i think europe has a, a different attitude uh, towards work that, than some other countries have so that's point one but but second i i think that on the long run uh, if you want to um, to reduce inequality especially, you need to, to put in place the proper framework because uh, also this, uh, these platform workers, and they can be, uh, let's say, highly edu educated, at some point of time, they need to reskill and upskill themselves because today you are losing 40% of your skills every three years. And so if you don't have a framework allowing you individually or collectively to upskill and reskill yourself, yeah, you, you will lose your employability, your, your, the, the companies will lose uh, the competitiveness and the countries will also lose uh, the competitiveness. So even for a country like the US, I think it is important to not only to reflect, but to act on, on, on that type of, of new economy uh, developing. And, and we see uh, uh, what has been, it has been the case with the AB5, uh, in, in California, but then starting from California, we have seen that in all the state of, 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 of the US. So I, I think this has to move to that, uh, uh, yeah, this welfare state is organized and that there is no tension, uh, social tension at the end, because you have too, too, too high inequality between the type of the contract, the labor contract you are providing. So when we look at uh, the educational system globally, the universities do a poor job in preparing people for the workforce. Uh, so so when you, you've mentioned upskilling and reskilling several times. And so who, who has the responsibility for upskilling and reskilling? Uh, when we look at the various stakeholders, you've got the government, you've got the businesses, and you have the academia. <laughs> So first of all, I must say that it's a huge challenge for, for university, uh, uh, high schools and so on to, to cope with also this transformation because uh, many jobs that uh, will be created in, in five to 10 years from now are not existing. 
uh, and, and we don't know what kind of, of skills and capabilities they, they will request. So as an education system, this is a huge challenge. That's point one. Second, um, I think that um, the knowledge is more and more available everywhere right, through internet and so on. So I think that the role of uh, the education system uh, will be uh, to prepare people to learn to learn uh, and this in a, in a lifelong manner. So that's uh, as a first input to your questions. Now coming to your point regarding upskilling and reskilling, uh, I say always it must be a, a tripartite uh, let's say, agreement, a tripartite objectives. Uh, individuals should be aware and motivated to, to stay employable in the labor market. And, and so it is their, also their responsibility and their obligation to, to remain competitive. And to remain competitive, it means as your, your skills are, uh, let's say, uh, uh, diluted year after year, you, you need to, to stay um, sharp and, and you, you need to, to reskill yourself. It is also the responsibility of the companies uh, to, to make sure that they have the right skills to, to stay competitive on one hand, but also, and probably it's more European, to also to have the, I think you, you are not responsible to, to keep people at work in your company, but you are responsible to make sure that they are remaining employable. And, and probably they can be employable in another industry, in another company, if, if, if it happens to be so. But that's, that's also a, a, an obligation of, of the company to, to make sure that they have the right talents to be competitive, but also keep their workforce employable. And third, it's also the responsibility for the government and, and the government to, to, to remain as a country attractive uh, for investment, for startups to be located in the countries. And again, if you want to be attractive, you need the right people uh, with the right skills. And as a government, you, you need to put in place the framework uh, allowing this. So that's why it is not only uh, the responsibility and the accountability of one of the three key stakeholders. No, it is really uh, a tripartite uh, engagement. Makes, makes sense. So you see this um, transformation unfolding with the gig workers increasing, uh, there's a rise in freelancing. So how does that impact the business model of companies like the ADECO group? And how do you, uh, you know, see that unfolding? Uh, for us, we see this as a great opportunity uh, because uh, it's a little bit back to the future uh, in the sense that uh, 50 years ago, when temporary staffing emerged uh, in the economy, uh, it was a, also a, a kind of gray zone regarding regulations, protections, and so on. And, and like the gig economy today, we have been banned also in, in some countries uh, by governments. Not that long, but we have also been banned. But in the meantime, uh, we are recognized as the most secure uh, way of flexibilization and, and we are also a wonderful pass and channel towards uh, permanent employment. If I take the example of the ADECO group, 40% of the temporary staff will get a, a job, a permanent job after on average 24 months 
working with us. So we are really a, a channel to get permanent employment. And with the gig economy and the platform work and so on, it's, it's the same. So at this stage, because it's new, because governments are, are not used to deal with that, because till now it was probably in some countries uh, from limited scope, but now we see that it is becoming uh, an important part of the workforce. Uh, company, in fact, governments uh, are, are starting to, to look at regulation. And, and two or three weeks ago, there was this uh, this court case uh, regarding uh, Uber in UK, uh, followed by, by by another one in Spain, and then one week later uh, in Italy. And we will come. Uh, I'm convinced about that. We will come to a to an acceptable regulation uh, um, and a good regulation for both the employers and, and the gig workers. Um, that's how I, I anticipate this, and I see again an opportunity for us because we are the one uh, with the most capability to match supply and demand, and this in a regulated environment because we know how to deal with uh, uh, with enterprise because we, we know them, we, we visit them, and we have them every day uh, the, uh, on the phone, the email, and so on. And on the other side, uh, with the flex, the, the, the gig workers and so on, we know how to select them, put them at work in a regulated way, help them, support them regarding their uh, benefits payment, social protection payment, and so on and so on. So I, I'm quite positive, uh, mid to long term for us, as it, it represents a new uh, a growth pocket. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you've talked about... Uh trends and verticalization of recruiting. And I noticed part of your business strategy is also to create these companies that are focused on different verticals. So uh, tell us about that approach. Why, why you think that is important? Uh, uh, what we are trying to, or what we are doing and, and trying to do is on one, on one hand, to give a very a clear focus uh, according to the brand and with the brand, the, the, the service offering we are doing. And so that's why we have three big pillars. We have uh, ADECO, which is really uh, all the, the workforce solutions. It's not only temporary staffing, but we are providing also outsourcing, um, uh, permanent recruitment and so on. That's ADECO. Then we have um, a brand uh, dedicated to uh, the smart industry. Uh, in the uh, but for the technology and we supply engineers uh, IT engineering uh, in, in the smart industry 30,000 in 18 countries with Modis and then we have this, the third pillar which is talent solutions and talent solutions there we are yeah we have all the the, the service related activities such as outplacement uh, professional recruitment but for for highly for skilled and highly skilled people uh, we have reskilling and so on and, and each of them has, has a clear focus and can focus on, 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 on its operating model, its customer group. Uh, and so for our customers, it's also easier. If we agree with one of customers, let's say in 24 hours, we can roll out the agreement and the service level agreement we have agreed with this customer in a very effective way, which was not or which was much more complicated when we were in a country-based organization. That's on one end. On the other hand, we see that uh, we need also to, to 
engineer solution for our customers. If you take the, the auto industry, for example, uh, there is a huge transformation taking place because uh, auto, the auto industry is going from fossil-driven uh, engine to uh, electrified vehicle, and it means a lot. It means that you need uh, not only new cars, but you need all the profile, all the capabilities, and so on. And, and, and to, to support these customers, uh, we need to assess the people in place, what kind of, of skills and capabilities they have. Are they ready and, and, and uh, to take order capabilities? Because today you have a lot of electricians, mechanicians, uh, and, and you go towards mechatronics, system engineers, and so on. And can we reskill some of them into system engineer in three months' time? We do that. Uh, and, but it starts with the assessment, then reskilling, upskilling, and then internal mobility or external mobility. And we see that to design such a solution, yeah, we have packaged uh, capabilities of LHH, uh, assessment. Uh, we have uh, packaged capabilities of general assembly for the reskilling, uh, from MODIS for the system engineer uh, training. Uh, and eventually for the external mobility, we will leverage ADECO and, and all professional recruitment brands. And we are in a quite unique position uh, to be able to do this provided we really uh, do this system engineer with the capabilities of the different brands of the group. So on one hand, focus, but on the other hand, leveraging all the skills and capabilities we have to answer the customer needs. So in a conversation with me on this podcast, Tom Davenport uh, noted that platform businesses are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of AI because they can match uh, resources, optimize their availability, like never before. So staffing businesses are also being tr transformed by platforms. So how, how is ADECO Group leveraging platforms and AI uh, to future-proof itself? Yeah, we are, um, we are investing in AI. We are investing in platform business. I think that the last... Uh, external news uh, we, we have done is, for example, we have taken over Hyatt uh, in the US after having taken over Vetri uh, two years ago. So, and today we have the, the largest uh, digital platform uh, for recruitment end-to-end uh, -end and, and especially for, for the, the IT population. And this, uh, this is an example of how and what we do and how we invest in this field. Uh, we have another brand called Adia, which is also a platform in the temporary staffing. Uh, and at the same time, we are also investing in digitalizing and putting AI at work in our traditional business. Uh, today, um, we have a chatbot reaching out to, uh, to our candidates 24-7. Uh, we have chat, this chatbot also pre-screening the candidates, uh, scheduling the candidates in case of positive outcome uh, with our recruiter, uh, helping them to onboard successfully. Everything is, uh, is already uh, automated and, and I see AI yeah, continuing its path uh, uh, in, in our industry amplifying the work we, we are doing, amplifying and also adding predictability uh, because more and more we have to anticipate the skills needed uh, and AI is helping us to do this. 
And and what what are you most excited about in these endeavors using AI? What 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 has uh, uh, you know has something really uh, been at the forefront that you're trying to develop? Look, it comes back to to our purpose to make the future work for everyone, and, and I think technology uh, will help us to synchronize, hopefully successfully, the destruction of the jobs. Uh, which are not more in need, with the creation of the new jobs and the new roles. And, and, and thanks to uh, to data, to AI, AI combined with, with the data we have, that we can anticipate what will be needed. And anticipate need, means um, upskilling, reskilling in advance to make sure that when the need will come, we will be there and the people will get a job. And the more the more jobs we we can create, the more jobs we can pr- protect, uh, the more we can fulfill or, or promise of our purpose. And, and that's why we are together with my thirty one thousand colleagues here in in uh, uh, in this world. We we are working every day. Um, any any parting words for our audience? No. Um, I think what what I should say is that the the future is is bright, and I'm cautiously uh, optimistic. And um, but there is a clear invitation uh, to all the stakeholders to anticipate the future. And, and I see too many times that both governments, uh, companies, and individuals are not really envisioning the future. And when they, are, they have no vision about the future, they cannot prepare and anticipate it. And, and uh, whatever governments, companies, or individuals, I think you should try to get a view what will be needed in, in three years or in, f- in five years from now and act on it. And act on it, meaning uh, reskill, upskill, high, and so on, so that you are successfully uh, developing towards the future. And, and making sure you're, yeah, you are successful towards the future. Well said. Uh, thank you, Alain. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Aprit. Thank you for, for your time also. All the best.